What's up, everyone? I'm Katherine Rudder, and this is Life in the Fast Chain. For this episode, we have, you guessed it, Todd McDonald on, but he's here to talk about regulations. And I have to say, props to Todd, because we covered a bunch of different topics, but he really tied it all together in the end. And then we have Andrew Stackowitz on from R3, the head of global sales engineering, and he actually also talks about regulations for a bit. Andrew is an amazing guest, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Oh, dear. Is that how sad you are to be in the studio with me right <laughs> like, now? I'm just getting over the water jug. Okay, yeah, I know. Um, Todd McDonald. Oh, hi. <laughs> Thank you for joining me in the studio with my half gallon of water. So impressive and a little... Uh, intimidating. It's weird, but it's a, it's something to accomplish at the end of each day if I drink two of these. And then I don't have to think about how many. I want to drink a gallon of a day. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to. But it's it's something to aim for. You know, it looks like it looks like a mini uh, barrel of oil. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> it kind of, well, it's black. I feel like I kind of look like I'm in holes. You know, they like walk around with oh, like yes. jugs of water. <laughs> Yes. I'm just like slugging it around the office. <laughs> but that's why I got a legit one off Amazon rather than just like a janky pulling spring one. Like I didn't want to look like. I mean, like off some guy in the street. Yeah, <laughs> so like New York City know. hats. And, yeah. What are you talking and about? And gallons of water. Yeah. You know, like pulling spring, like you can get the gallon. Yeah. That's basically what they do. In and a Louis Vuitton handbag. You get yeah. it all together. <laughs> you can get literally anything on yes. the streets of New York. That's amazing. <laughs> How are you doing today? Uh, Yeah, I'm doing all right. You're doing uh, all right. Good. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the world's been really weird recently. Yeah, weird is an understatement. I know. Uh, pretty depressing, but... Yeah? Um, yes. So we were talking before we started around what we can chat about today. Yes, to, to positive vibes, <laughs> regulations. <laughs> so I'm not sure it's going to be super positive vibes. Yeah, so I guess, you know, I was thinking about there's a, there's been over the last few months... There have been a lot of different examples of um, regulation mm-hmm. and safety and sort of, I guess, what's the right word? Maybe sort of like social policy trying mm-hmm. to be put into place with okay. some stuff that's been going on. And it involves crypto, it involves payments, and it involves sort of blockchain regulation, current contemplated pending, all that good stuff. So mm-hmm. thought we can talk about that. Yeah, no, I'm interested to to hear your take on regulations no. recently. I mean, I know it's outside of our space. Like, I feel like people are really talking more about, I know sanctions is very different yeah. than regulations, but oh, I yeah, feel sanctions like, as well, yeah, yeah. sanctions, yeah, yeah. So I think people are kind of paying attention to more like the power of regulations and sanctions recently, I think. Yeah, so I, I guess, you know, one, one way to think about it would be to think about it in the term of platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we don't think about this too often, but you think of something like Swift, and I guess folks, I'm guessing folks that are listening to this podcast will know what Swift is. Yeah. But it is a, in effect, a global messaging system for payments, mm-hmm. right? Um, it also is really the connective tissue for uh, for payments and for commerce uh, globally. Uh, there are thousands of financial institutions and corporates that are that are part of it, and a really really big uh, move was made uh, by, I guess, sort of the international community to, in effect, try and deplatform 
uh, Russian banks from mm -hmm. from the SWIFT network. Um, that's one example. You know, even I guess time is a bit liquid these days. I don't know when it was, but a few months mm -hmm. back we had this whole uh, Freedom Convoy. What was it called? Freedom Trucker Convoy thing mm -hmm. in, in Toronto yeah. or yeah. not Toronto and. I apologize. A, Combining a, a city, cities? a city in Canada, <laughs> and for Americans, every city in Canada is just Toronto. It's yeah. terrible, but it's not. I think it was Ottawa or somewhere up there. Yeah, uh, Hamilton. I don't know. No, Manitoba. I can't confirm or sure. deny. Yes, <laughs> to be honest, I mean, you just alienated your dozen <laughs> Canadian listeners. Sorry, sorry, Adam <gasps> Fergal. Um, so uh, you know, there was also an example there where you know there were some people that really wanted to support the truckers because yeah. they were raising donations and they had these GoFundMe campaigns that were shut down and then they tried to send them Bitcoin. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, the, the funds never quite made it to where they were trying to get to. You know, I gave a talk yesterday to to a bank and we were talking about sort of crypto and crypto as an asset class and and the, the creation of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. and it was created as this like unstoppable digital cash. It's a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. I think that's in the title of subtitle of the white paper. Mm-hmm. But, you know, punchline is it's kind of censorable. You know, they were able to kind of step in and, and at least slow down or at the very least figure out where all the all the Bitcoin payments went to. Yeah. Um, and then kind of get the endpoints and freeze those. Um, How are they able to do that? Well, there, as you, so over the last five, six years, there's been a lot of firms, uh, Chainalysis, some others that have come to mind that that they look at, in effect, they do forensics mm -hmm. on uh, blockchains. So okay. it's like CSI blockchain. Oh. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, there's got a lot of clues you can piece together yeah. through super smart techniques to try and figure out where, where all these, uh, uh, all this value is going. So you had that uh, a couple months back. Um, and then obviously you have uh, sort of something like the Swift deplatforming. And then, it's also those kind of fascinating. You think about obviously with Ukraine and Russia, they are both trying to figure out how to play and mm -hmm. influence um, sort of the crypto sort of narrative and yeah. like trying to raise funds and, and to support folks in, in Ukraine. Um, that was there's a lot going on there, and yeah. but then at the same time trying to cut Russia off on being able to potentially leverage crypto. Uh, for their reserves, you know, yeah. the Central Bank of Russia. Um, I don't know, it's fascinating. And it's forcing people once again to kind of think about the concepts of, of money. Like this, like I thought it was really interesting, like the Central Bank of Russia is actually, my wife and I were talking about this. She's very, we were saying before, she's been very passionate about these topics recently. Yep. And she was like, I don't understand how can the Russian Central Bank not have the money that's in their reserves? Yeah. And... It was a really good question when we were walking the dog trying to explain <laughs> that, not the cat, the dog. And, um, and uh, you know, it's because the Russian Central Bank, outside of, in effect, the gold bars that they have, you know, buried underneath the Central Bank itself, yeah. the money that they have is just an account somewhere. Yeah. And that account is with a non-Russian institution. <laughs> I know. I know. I was reading about... I've been reading a lot about all of these things, but that's a fascinating thing to me mm. because it's too, like you have money through that bank and you just, you kind of don't, <laughs> you do, kinda, but you don't, like yeah. you can't get it. Yeah. It's pretty incredible that in effect, the central bank of Russia got rug pulled by 
basically the West. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and so, okay, so then we're going to just, we're not going to go too yeah, deeply. Yeah, we can't go too stuff, deeply because but, I, mean, I could but, talk about that. I know, part. but then you think about, and then there's another narrative. Oh, well, Russia will turn its gaze to China. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, China has been investing quite heavily in trying to create the digital renminbi. Mm-hmm. Um, and potentially they can allow for uh, Russia to access some funding through that. Now, the Chinese digital currency is going to be in incredibly censorable yeah, <laughs> by yeah, the yeah. Chinese ruling party. So what? that's an interesting one. So they have a lot of leverage there. Yep. So all these things tying together and then it kind of comes back to, okay, uh, what would what would it mean to have true central bank digital currencies out there in the wild? Mm-hmm. What would happen, for example, if folks were today trying to send, you know, digital dollars to, to Russia? How would mm-hmm. that all work together? Um, I mean, it's all really interconnected, but I, there was, you know, Matt Levine, I might have mentioned him on this show podcast before. He's an incredible writer for Bloomberg. And he's talking about, I mentioned before, it's like, it kind of comes back to money being this sort of, sort of scorecard for, uh, sort of, uh, a, for social, social goods. Yeah. As in effect, it's kind of a weird way to, to put it. And, and that's sort of what's been happening recently. Um, but, you know, and then you have the other end of the spectrum, you sort of the more very libertarian crowd, which not surprisingly is quite attracted to something like Bitcoin. Yeah. Is looking at this as as just an unadulterated negative, um, to be have this sort of influence on that network. Uh yeah. So there's a lot there. So um, the takeaway is that there's a lot there and well, yeah, there's a lot there. I guess, you know, one thing I've been one theme I've been talking about a lot, and this is sort of when one way to kind of uh, bring it together is that when you're talking about money, you're talking about things of value, mm-hmm. there will always be a definition of safety. Yeah. Um, and usually, if it's not defined ahead of time, regulators will define safety for you. Yes. <laughs> right? So the way what we do is try and, and understand that ahead of time versus trying to react to it after the fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, last thing is that, like another interesting article for folks to check out that was in the FT, I think over the weekend, they had a kind of a long form sort of, uh, uh, I guess, um, I guess postmortem is what yeah. I was looking for on Libra slash DM. Good fa- way to tie Facebook. it all together. Thank you very much. <laughs> I didn't know how I was going to quite land that you, plane. You did bring it together. That was nice. All right. And then, uh, you know, it was, it was just a very long story about, oh no, we probably should have brought the regulators and the incumbent institutions along on this journey a little bit sooner. Yeah. I remember <laughs> like hearing just like in the space generally people kind of resisting regulators like years ago, just mm. like, cause they don't want, you never want to be told what to do or whatever. And I remember yeah. I was talking to Ricardo and he's like, we gotta get them involved. And this is also like months or years ago. Again, time, what is going on? But I remember he was like, get those reg- regulators in here so mm-hmm. we can like, Really go to the next level. And so. that's why from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m., that's why he's talking to central bankers yeah. and regulators. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's what we're seeing out there. And even though we talk about CBDC and regulated cash all the time, the market is it's just, as Ricardo would say, it's super hot, brother. <laughs> yeah. pretty good. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you for tying it all together. And we did, CBDCs, it's all related, but I think yeah. it was good to focus on other 
real world thing. So yeah, it was good. We I think we navigated it okay. No, you did. You tied it together. In my head, it was like you know the meme where the lady's looking at all the different math things mm-hmm. and she can't figure out in my head i was like okay this is how you can connect it that's how you connect it how are we going to bring it all together i kind of saw that in your eyes <laughs> yeah. there i was like and <laughs> then like, you did it for me you were pulling for me and also doubting me at the same time no, I, I don't know. a little bit well the doubt was like super super small yes. thank you for joining me today yes it's my pleasure as always andrew stackwitz welcome to the studio Thank you. Nice to be here, Catherine. Um, I'm very happy to have you here. Cheers. We have some booze and blockchain talk and confidential Thank computing, you. but cheers. that doesn't sound as good. <laughs> cheers. No you alliteration. T- you to drink after you cheers. It's bad luck. Great. Um, so tell us, what are you drinking? Uh, so I'm drinking <laughs> Fat Tire, which is an amber ale. So I'm, I'm kind of a, uh, a bit of a beer snob, and it's, it's the best that we have floating around the office right now. Oh, yeah. How about you? I'm not a beer snob. I have a Truly hard seltzer, which I actually haven't had. I don't know if I've even had Truly's, which sounds really weird for, like, me being a millennial and everyone's, like, obsessed with I guess it's more Gen Z. I don't know, but I've never had Truly before. So So is that, like, um, what's the difference between that and, like, a vodka seltzer? Um, So it's fermented, I think. It's a hard seltzer, so it's fermented, though. So people think it's like a vodka soda, but it's not. It's fermented. So it's I think it's technically beer. But you can get some that aren't fermented and are just vodka sodas, but they would have to say that. So for it to right. be a hard seltzer, like Truly, White Claw, what other? Spike seltzer, they're fermented. And okay. this one's pineapple. It's very good. What's your favorite one? Is it the White Claw? or I, I feel like I so, see that a lot these days. I feel like... In my younger years, <laughs> I really overdid the White Claw, <laughs> but I will say there's this sparkling tequila called Onda. Have you ever heard of it? It's, no. It has orange, like an orange um, thing. It's really, it's very good marketing. That sounds awful. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no, no. I don't like tequila, so you can't really taste the tequila, but it's a tequila sel- seltzer, so it's not fermented. It's really okay. good. I'll bring you one in the office. Please don't. No, it yes. sounds awful. You have to no. try it. No. <laughs> okay. I'll try one of your fat right. tires if you <laughs> All try right. one of my Ondas. It's a deal. Okay, I will bring one for you. Anyways, we are celebrating. No, just kidding. <laughs> you have recently been named the head of sales engineering. Congrats. Uh, thank you so much. What does uh, that mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> so that means that uh, I lead the sales engineering function here at R3. Uh, we have an amazing uh, global team of sales engineers. And mm-hmm. um, really, from my perspective, the best thing about it is that it kind of raised my profile within the company such that I actually got myself invited onto the Life in the Fast Chain podcast. <laughs> like, this is the kind of thing that <laughs> I, I, I joined the company two and a half years ago and, you know, n- never a word, never a word, nary an invite. <laughs> but then, you know, when you, you get that promotion and then all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, that's who that guy is. And then all of a sudden here I am. <laughs> so that's really kind of, um, from my perspective, the, the big thing. There were, there are others. Yeah, the but, height of uh, the profession. Yeah, my, my, my professional ambition is now fulfilled. And in fact, like, I'm really not sure where I go from here because this is kind of the top of so <laughs> kind of the top of R3. But um, but, you know, more seriously, I, I do get uh, we have an amazing global team of uh, 10, 12 uh, sales engineers. And one of the really great things about it is working so closely with these people who I admire who are doing 
such amazing things in trust mm-hmm. technology. Mm-hmm. Like they're, um, you know, designing the underpinnings of new exchanges. And if for somebody who cares a bit about market structure, I'm super into that and the work mm-hmm. that those people are doing. And we have, uh, you know, CBDC experts who could, you know, basically follow every uh, every new advancement in the context of CBDC and could mm-hmm. s- basically list them off from the time that acronym was created until now. And uh, it's really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's re- really, honestly, like I couldn't do half of what all, all the people on my team do. It's, re- it's really amazing. It's an honor to be, uh, you know, to head that team. And, you know, I, I've been working a lot more uh, within the capacity of leading the team in kind of recruiting and hiring. Like, I think mm. that uh, one of the really cool things about my job is it's just really fun, like redesigning yeah. and re-architecting how uh, industries are going to work, how systems are going to work. And, you know, the the ability to try to go out to people and tell them that, like, hey, this mm-hmm. is a really fun job. This is really fun to do. If you have sort of technology skills and and creative talent, come work with yeah. us and come help us do that. Uh, you know, so if anybody out there, is, you know, listening to Life in the Fast Chain wants to work in sales engineering at R three, shoot over your resume. We're uh, we're always hiring yeah, and nice. we're very excited. So you are hiring. So you're actually hiring. Yes. We have a good amount of um, job opening job openings right now on our website. But good to know your team is hiring. We Andrew do. Andrew is a great boss. <laughs> I wouldn't know, but he's great to hang out with. <laughs> we do. And we're not the only team that's hiring. Uh, you know, I, we're hiring across yeah. the firm. So some people might not, sales engineering might not be their cup of tea. That's fine. If you're a core engineer, if you're a marketing specialist, like, you know, yeah. come join us. It's we do have a lot of times. roles open. Um, it's very fun. So you mentioned trust technology when we talk about trust technology here. At R3, we're specifically talking about Corda and Conclave. So what, I'm throwing you a curveball because we didn't talk about this before, but what does like trust technology mean to you? So it's interesting. So most types of technology in the the way that they work, you're kind of, uh, I always think that trust technology is almost like the opposite of, uh, or it's almost a misnomer. It's like the opposite of what, uh, what is on the tin. Because most types of tr- technology, you are trusting some counterparty. Either you're trusting a mm-hmm. third-party intermediary or you're trusting uh, Amazon Web Services or some cloud hosting platform to host your data. Or mm-hmm. uh, Most types of technology require you to trust uh, base, and the, that trust is sort of... Um, put into contracts and Mm -hmm. uh you know there there's legal restrictions around stuff but you are kind of trusting that your suppliers will do the things that they say they do Mm -hmm. uh whereas with our technology with corda and with conclave it's kind of you control your data and you don't have to trust anybody to use you know to use your data appropriately you set it up in such a way that you have a technical assurance that mm-hmm. your data will be used in the way that you think it should and yeah. in the, the appropriate ways. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, no, it's true. And and I, I remember when we were first kind of tossing around, not tossing around, but thinking about how since we went from a company that had one platform, Corda, and then um, with Conclave, we were kind of like, okay, so we have these two platforms 
how are we how do we look at them from the blockchain DLT world and then the confidential computing world um, and it really does feel like the kind of label or term trust technology is the most appropriate to kind of describe both of them even though they're separate technologies yeah it really is resonant across both and it's it's I feel like people look at the platforms at a very surface level and think oh these are sort of very different things but actually uh, first off they can be used together in a lot of circumstances and secondly they have uh, a kind of similar types of use cases and similar types of problems that they yeah. solve. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's not, this is definitely not the saying, but it's like, if you don't have trust, you don't have anything. That's definitely not the saying, <laughs> but it's how I feel. Um, <laughs> so anyways, let's go back and talk about the beginning of your career. Um, what was the beginning of your career? How did you start out? Sure. Um, so I started out in kind of what I would call or consider like real engineering, like um, mm -hmm. engineering where you, we built physical things. So mm -hmm. I worked in uh, control systems around mechanical ventilators. And, mm -hmm. you know, there would be sort of systems and uh, PID loops and kind of like the the type of work that it was, was, was interesting. But then when the, um, the great financial crisis in uh, 2008, me, you know, I saw all these like mortgage-backed securities explode and all of that. And I was looking at them and I found it really interesting. I found it, you know, obviously mm -hmm. uh, in, in hindsight, it was interesting <laughs> because because it all fell apart. Because it was terrible. But, yeah, yeah, it was interesting in a terrible way. <laughs> but it was, it, maybe there was a, a sort of dark part of me that wanted to understand like, you know, because the math is similar in what I do in the in my, my day job, like, how is this, how this like, happen? how did this happen? Mm -hmm. And so I, I started studying it kind of seriously. I started going to NYU at night and, um, you know, really taking an interest in financial instruments. And then, um, you know, because I was always a sort of software developer and coder, it, it was then and it is now that you can kind of work in any industry that you want if you can code well enough. And so I got a job in a bank and, uh, you know, worked in various fintechs uh, around sort of software development and financial mm -hmm. instruments. Uh, and that's what brought me here. So then what made you decide to come to R3? So having been close to financial instruments of all types, kind of uh, bonds and derivatives and swaps and all of that, it always struck me as kind of crazy the way that they... Um, not the way that they traded necessarily, but the way that the money got moved around and that they settled behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. It was like it was like these millions of dollars things and people are emailing each other spreadsheets with like the, you know, schedules for payments and all yeah. this stuff. And I, I kind of thought like, OK, this stuff is all going to go on ledgers like this is kind of when DLC was getting hot. And it was like, OK, the, the financial system is going to end up moving in this direction yeah and so then you know just thinking that it was like okay well there's the uh you know the big players in uh the public and the permissioned uh dlt space but there there were at least at that time parts of the the public dlt space were kind of like we're going to reinvent the financial system we're going to throw away all the rules we don't need regulations and we're just going to um 
go forward and reinvent everything. This is so relevant to what Todd McDonald and I just talked about, and Todd is coming on yeah. before you. So this okay. is amazing that you just said that. We were talking about regulations and other yeah. things. <laughs> yeah, and it was basically at that time as I was looking around, I'm like, I don't want to be on the, that team because I, I know a little bit about regulators and regulations. And we, first of all, it's not all red tape. Like we do need rules to keep yeah. people safe. And secondly, yeah. just as a practical matter, that the team that ignores the regulators is was not going to win in my this in my is estimation. Literally what we had like, talked that's... about with Todd, he was talking a little bit about the recent announcement of like from Libra and how Libra yes. they're kind of just like, oops, we didn't really think yeah, yeah. this through that much. <laughs> right. Sorry, so I'm so excited that you're talking about this. Okay, yeah, yeah. good tie-in <laughs> that we didn't. Yeah, yeah, no, but that that's kind of um, that was the attitude that I felt from the crypto space. Whereas uh, from R3, it was always you know you just looking at their their messaging and their ideas it was always like uh let's take the the good parts of this uh you know emerging industry but let's do it safely and let's do it in a way that is compliant and in cooperation with regulators so that we we bring the sort of efficiencies to the system but we don't um you know we, we don't get thrown in jail or, or yeah you know or whatever we don't get shut down like no it's that's... true i think it's so f yeah that's kind of the fascinating i mean the story of r3 and everything i i find fascinating but it's true like it was like okay we want to do this thing but so let's talk to all these different banks and get their input because they're the most highly regulated institutions so like if, if we can get banks to use this and like Another place, da, 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 and then we kind of went down a rabbit hole of like everyone can use this, which <laughs> <Yes. laughs> is like not the move either. But but yeah, I think yeah, that's uh, fascinating. And you did come two and a half years ago, so as so as you said. So I'm thinking if, of our history. That was definitely like we'd already taken a lot of like the bank's feedback into consideration. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I worked with banks in sort of fintechs in my my previous iterations of my career and one of the things that uh one of the benefits or one of the things that i saw as a big positive for r3 is that in working with the banks not only did they have the sort of regulatory clarity but they also had things actually kind of going into production like like deploying mm -hmm. software into a bank is really hard like it's yeah. you know if, if if you've ever sort of been through the process it's like, you know, the security questionnaires are, you know, like the phone book. Like, it's yeah. crazy the, the amount of work and the amount of things that you have to do for good reason, because they're like handling everybody's money. It, it is yeah. important. It makes they... sense. Yeah, but yeah. It's also annoying. It makes sense, but it's a lot. <laughs> and then so so the idea that it was like, oh, this, this is actually like being deployed and used in banks, not in a sort of uh, hypothetical uh here's some technology that we think would be a good idea for the banks, but like, uh, here's things that are actually happening. Uh, that was a big, big plus for me at that time. Nice. So how is your newer role uh, different than your past roles? Because you, you were a sales engineer before. You were hired as a sales engineer. I no? was hired. Yes, I was hired as a sales engineer. And um, I think sales engineering is actually kind of uh, the coolest job one could have. Because nice. it's sort of you get to uh, work and stay close with the technology and use the technology to like architect and solve problems and stuff. Yeah. You get to be in a sort of sales team and, you know, sometimes win yeah. deals and every, everybody's excited. 
And then there's also like there are things about engineering that's like really hard. Like, you yeah. know, engineering when you are doing the sort of you're building the demo and you're building the writing the code to build the sunny day path of something uh, that is, uh, you know, not as hard. It, take, it takes yeah. some uh, some talent, but that's not super hard. But then trying to engineer things so that everything always works, no matter what uh button is clicked or what what rainy day scenario comes up is is uh very tedious and yeah. difficult work and i i always appreciate and admire uh the talented people that we have there that do it yeah but, uh, we definitely but not for do. me <laughs> we definitely do well also i feel like you're a people like you do like talking to people like it's almost like the best of both worlds for you going out of that like i do being i connected do like and then talking to others sure i do uh i do like talking to people a lot and i like um you know i i like that in my sort of even in my past iterations it was you know i ended up talking to people more than writing code which was a thing that i ultimately wanted to do in my career and now kind of getting to manage people build a team and uh you know work with these really sort of high performing people that that i have the privilege of work with working with is yeah. really a lot of fun amazing so, what is unique? Eh, we kind of talked about what's unique about Corda and Conclave. Mm -hmm. What's unique about Conclave? We talked a lot about Corda. So, Conclave <laughs> is unique because it's a <laughs> throwing curveballs. I'm throwing curveballs left so, and right. right. I never so, ask the questions I say I'm going to ask about. <laughs> so, Conclave is kind of unique because it's a um, it's a hardware based approach in what is typically, you know, in my career been basically around software. Mm -hmm. So Conclave is itself, a, you know, it utilizes Intel SGX and the technology behind uh, trusted uh, execution environments in order to provide sort of hardware-based, chip-based solutions to privacy problems that uh, in other contexts you use software solutions too so mm -hmm. you know people try to approach the the issues of that they're addressing with conclave with like um zero knowledge proofs or yeah. homomorphic encryption and stuff like that and those are um interesting software approaches but it's interesting to uh sort of not confine yourself to a software solution which can run on kind of commodity uh hardware that you can get in any cloud vendor yeah but actually have like a hardware-based solution this says, well you know we're going to use a specific chip to solve this specific problem so i think mm -hmm. that that's a, a unique approach and it's uh something that is a little bit unique for me to talk about because i was always huh. a software guy and not a i'm not an electrical engineer or anything <laughs> like that so um yeah very cool so what's your biggest hurdle when talking to customers or potential customers when talking about Corda and so, Conclave, but Corda first. When talking about Corda, so I think that Corda and, uh, you know, not to keep it too specific to Corda, but distributed ledger technology generally, mm -hmm. one of the real uh, problems that you have when you're trying to talk to people about it is the, um, the fax machine problem. So if you have, you know, if you had the first fax machine and you wanted to go out and sell it, the first person you try to sell it to will be like, I can send what to who? Like, like nobody yeah. else has one of these. It doesn't make any sense for yeah. me to like to buy it. Oh, I like and this analogy. I've never heard of it. So continue. <laughs> and so if you, but if you, you know, if everybody has a fax machine, all of a sudden they become very valuable. Mm -hmm. And 
so when we sort of think about an industry and we think about, okay, the way that this, you know, I, I talked a little bit more about, or a little bit previously about financial instruments and the way that, that back offices send around payments and stuff. If you think about that, you think about, okay, you know, what would be a better way to do this? Smart contracts, automated execution, uh -huh. distributed ledgers. Like if we put that onto, you know, onto this problem, we would, you know, we will solve it. It will happen much, much more efficiently. Mm -hmm. But the the hurdle comes in, like, who do you go to talk to about this? Because it's this, you know, wide collection of, uh, of participants to the network. So yeah. you have to have them all kind of, it's a coordination game in some, in some respects. Mm -hmm. So you need somebody to like take a lead. And what's good is that we at R3 have some history of, consortium building having mm -hmm. been a consortium and we also have a way of working with um working with sort of large uh fmis large financial yeah. market infrastructures who are able to you know get the ear of entire industries and get entire industries to sort of take a um revolutionary step in the way that they do certain things yeah that's i like the uh I like the fax machine uh, analogy because it's, I mean, it's true, right? When you started going, I was like, oh, I, I like this. I get it. Um, I, I get, yeah, I get it. I'm like, oh. Well, one of, the, one of the great things about sales engineering or one, one of the things that I like about it is that um, you're, you're trying to explain very technical topics to people who might be a little bit less technical or haven't done software engineering. And one of the mm -hmm. things that is really helpful is, uh, you know, one of the things that as I'm interviewing people to be sales engineers, it's like if, if they can make analogies that that kind of simplify the, you know, that, that give everybody the idea without going into uh, deep, scary detail, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm putting that in my back pocket because I do have like friends like don't catch me at a bar talking about blockchain or else you'll be there for a while. But like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'd enjoy that. But that's fine. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just get a few more trulies. Um, but but I do, I would like try and my friends, I, I don't do it as much anymore with my friends, but I'm like constantly pulling out these analogies because I'm like, guys, you 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 will understand why this is important. We're just going to get through it together. If we're, and I do yeah. like app analogies on your phone. Yeah, this is the and app the GP, store. And yeah, you have the, the GPS yeah, yeah, course, and then sure, you yeah, can yeah. tap in from like Seamless and Pose, like whatever. Um, so I'm going to put that in my back pocket. All right. So. A lot of work talk yeah. and a little bit of um, uh, truly seltzer and, truly and, talk, and, yes. and beer talk. <laughs> so what do you like to do in your spare time when you're not doing all this? So one one sort of uh, mild complaint I have about the timing oh. of being invited onto life in the fast chain is I've been following Alyssa a lot lately. Sorry. She's great. Uh, Dr. Dr. Alyssa DiCaprio. Don't our get it esteemed, twisted. <laughs> yeah. Our esteemed chief economist. She's amazing by she's the way. Amazing. And, but not only is she amazing in the idea that, you know, you, she's got a PhD from MIT and you talk to her and she just is totally brilliant. Blows you but away. also when you ask her, like, what do you do in your spare time? She's like, oh, I, I run uh, ultra marathons and I'm doing an Ironman thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I biked 100 miles this week. You know, same as everybody. Like, that's, that's just, yeah, yeah. 
that's the I'm going spearfishing so in Alaska next week. Right, exactly. Yeah, no bigs. Like it's just kinda that's and so you know I'm like I go to bars with my friends. Sure, exactly. So her being like wildly per, uh impressive in that way, and then the next week you talk to me and it's like, What do you do? It's like, huh? <laughs> Nothing that cool. <laughs> but um you know, honestly, mostly uh, I have two beautiful little kids uh, who are four and five. And so most of our weekends uh, between my wife and the kids is we go out to zoos and we go to Liberty Science Center. Do Big not shout knock out. these places. I love I, Liberty yeah, yeah. Science Center, except um, the problem is the dome thing. Have you ever have have you seen like one of their like space shows? Of course. Yes. Yes. When I was, I have really bad motion sickness, not to take away from you, but uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I went in and I watched one of their, like, I, they have so many, but I'm pretty sure I was in, like, first or second grade. I got so motion sick that I couldn't even stand up. I had to crawl out of the Liberty Science Center, throwing up the entire way out because I was so nauseous. Because it's 360. <laughs> it's like 360. You like, can't, yeah, yeah. can't so get you- out. But so I do you threw love up in the a liberty. circle. Is that I threw? I threw. I was just on the ceiling throwing up. Amazing. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I did. That's fun. And it is zoos fun. are fun. Zoos are fun. My kids are incredibly fun. Even if I, uh, you know, we're at uh, Chuck E. Cheese or whatever it is, it's it's oh totally God. fine. You're it might not be. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. <laughs> in some ways, it's living the life. It's not quite what. Um, what dr dicaprio is doing be careful though but... because i am more inclined on joining you on the weekend okay than so I you're not gonna be you're not gonna be doing the, the 30 mile swim and 100 mile bike ride or whatever hell no nah. whatever she's got going this weekend no i'll be in Chuck E. cheese with you guys <laughs> yeah, yeah. that sounds good oh that's nice that's yeah. nice well now you have another <laughs> another joiner um right. and i also love zeus do you have a favorite zoo do your kids do your kids have a favorite zoo so we've we've gone to the the Bronx Zoo um a few good times. Zoo. That's a good zoo. It's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a hike for us. We actually the the Turtleback Zoo is uh near to us in New Jersey and that's the one we're a member of so I've then never we go there. there a lot. But Where um, is it in New Jersey? Uh it's right in the middle. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know what the town is. Have yeah. you been to the Cape May Zoo in New Jersey? Uh, I think I have, yes. They have yeah, yeah. some great giraffes and lions and stuff. You got to check it out. <laughs> That's you know, uh, my my little one Austin is really into the drafts. Uh, they're, oh. very, they're very tall, and he likes that. So wow, good. maybe yeah. he'll like me. I'm very tall too. <laughs> not not as tall as a draft, but you're up well. there. That's for sure. <laughs> Depends on the angle. Anyways, right. well, thank you so much for joining me. I learned a lot about kind of your your career path. I feel like you're exactly where you need to be. Uh, thank you. Awesome. This was a total pleasure. Thanks, Catherine. <laughs> See you at Chuggy Cheese. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Life in the Fast Chain. As always, share on your favorite networks and let me know what you think of the podcast at Bread and Rudder on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.